I want to talk to you tonight about uh, some principles from the Bible about how to have a holy and a happy home. I just want to talk about how to have a happy home tonight. And I think it would be appropriate for us because we have all these little ones that we're thinking about and the little ones that God has already given us and our desire to have homes that are happy and that are holy and that are pleasing to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but you know, this has been a desire that I've had on my heart for a long, long time to have a happy home, to have a holy home, one that pleases the Lord, an unusual home. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's kind of a slugfest. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't just happen automatically, am I right? Anybody else agree with that? I love the movie at Christmas time, It's a Wonderful Life. And I enjoy watching that. The theology is really wretched in the movie, but it's a a great movie other than the theology being really bad. Um, And uh, you don't want to get your understanding of angels from It's a Wonderful Life. It would would throw you off a bit. You wouldn't want to get your understanding of the gospel, you know, from It's a Wonderful Life. But other than those two major flaws, it's sure a great movie. And um, one of the things that I notice, you notice is the tension in the movie. Of course, you know, any, any good narrative is you've got people you like, and they're in trouble, and, and they have to work their way out of the trouble. And the trouble is that George and Mary are just trying to have a nice home. And they live, of course, in the old Granville place, which is the place everybody throws rocks at, if you recall. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when the little girl's playing the piano and George is all frustrated and his banister breaks because his banister breaks all the time. And he gives this famous line, Mary, why do we have to have all these kids anyway? Which, I don't know if you've ever said that in your house, but uh, everyone, that stumbles out of weaker people every once in a while. And, uh, and tonight I just want to give some principles from the Bible here and there throughout the Scriptures Uh, Some things that are really key, key principles, five of them, about how to have a a holy and a happy home. And and this comes from the heart of a humble seeker himself. This is our desire uh, as well. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, uh, you have this passage. It's talking about about chastisement. It's talking about God as a parent, as a father, and he is disciplining or he's gently correcting his children. And there's a, there's a promise that's embedded in this. It, here's what it says in verse 7. Now, I'm, I'll just read from verse 4. My son, this is Hebrews 12:4. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord or be discouraged if you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Now listen to verses 10 and 11. There's a promise embedded in this. They indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but He for our profit that we might be partakers in His holiness. That's quite a promise embedded in there. If you allow your Heavenly Father to gently and lovingly and wisely teach you and correct you, you can be a partaker in His holiness. How many of you would like that? Wouldn't you love it if that's the way your home was, a holy home? And then it goes on and says, now no chastening seems joyful for the present. That's got to be one of the great understatements of the Bible. Yeah, no chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. (laughs) Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You get that embedded promises in there a couple of times. One of them is 
the promise of holiness, and the other is the promise of righteousness. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are not really ever going to have a, a heavenly, uh, happy home unless there is holiness in your home. The happiness of your home is going to depend on holiness and progress and holiness in your home. And here you have a promise of that. Now this is what we're aiming for, and I want to give you here tonight these five principles. I'll give you little, little hooks for them, then we'll go through the five of them, and uh, here they are. The righteousness of Christ is number one. The righteousness of Christ. We'll describe and explain this a bit later. The, but think, keep this in mind. The righteousness of Christ. These children whose names we read. If they're going to live in homes that are happy, then, they, then the righteousness of Christ is going to have to be a part of that. And so is the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep this in mind. The righteousness of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Third thing that we'll talk about tonight is a clear conscience. The importance of a continual clear conscience. The fourth, the fourth thing I want to talk about tonight is worshipful service. You're going to see how these are, are related, but they, they may not seem related now, but they are. Worshipful service. And the final thing is just, I'm going to call it just the Bible. I'll describe that a little bit while I'm talking about that later. But I want you to keep, these are the five things. The righteousness of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, a clear conscience, worshipful service, service that grows out of a worshipful heart, and then the Bible. Let's go, let's look at the first one. Why is this, the righteousness of Christ, important? Well, if you're like I am, and you really want to have a happy family, and you really want to have a holy family, and then you are like all, always listening to like focus on the family, or family life today, or am I right? Or you're reading books about the family. Your, your night table has books about how to raise kids, and you know, how to potty train and nurse and and i got to thinking over there it wasn't looking at yams that helps you have boys or girls i think it was eating the yams i think you got to eat them to determine the gender so anyway get get that in your notes because that's a scientific fact of course um and you but you're you, you read stupid things like that you read books on birth order you try to figure out when the kids are going to explode you know which kid do i have to obey you know that's what you do because you care a lot about that you might even come up with uh, maybe kind of a guru of some kind, you know, a teacher that you especially like, and everything that they say, you're like, I believe what they say. Because, you know, we're all desperately trying to raise our kids. Or maybe somebody on the radio, or it might be that you have a system that you like, and maybe there's uh, DVDs that go with the system, or seminars that go with the system, or maybe a certain kind of schooling that you just know this particular kind of schooling is the right way to go. Uh, can I get a witness on this? And so you can, why is that? It's because we want our children to be in healthy, happy, holy homes. And we're looking for a system. We're looking for a teacher. We're looking for something that's going to help. We're all desperately looking for that. But now, here's the thing that we want to remember. There is this time-tested, age-old, God-given, absolute thing. And it is called the righteousness of Christ. And this righteousness of Christ that can be ours, you were here this morning so I don't need to go over that again, can be ours through belief in Christ Jesus' work on the cross. That's called the, that's a piece of the gospel. So here's what I'm trying to say, and that is though, we may have a bunch of books on our shelves. We may have a bunch of seminars on DVDs. We may have a bunch of teachers that we like. We may have a bunch of radio programs that we listen to. But there is nothing that has the power of God on it like the gospel. And so these children that were on the platform, over their lifetimes, they need parents who believe the gospel, who understand the gospel, who can teach the gospel, and they understand the power of the gospel, not just to get somebody like into the family of God, but the power of the gospel's work in our lives to continually encourage us and to sanctify us. Their parents 
need to know the gospel and teach the gospel and see the gospel as the primary thing, as the main thing. Now, the scriptures say this, and you might want to take your Bibles and look in Romans. You're, you're familiar with this. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It's a powerful promise. It says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation, to deliver. For everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's not quickly overlook this because we're used to hearing it. Think about what we're saying. We've got little children and we want them to thrive. We want them to flourish. We want them to know the Lord. What's the most important thing is not that we get them plugged into our man-made extra-biblical system, but that they know the gospel. That they understand their depravity and Jesus' great holiness and God's demand on their life. It's not something that we want to kind of like say, oh yeah, they get the gospel there in the first grade or in Awana or whatever, and, and we kind of have them pray a prayer, and then now we go on to our system, or we plug them into this program. That's not the, we, we, we dare not think like that. It is the righteousness of Christ that a person must have through belief in the gospel. And this is genuine faith. Think about this. Every one of these little children needs to come to genuine faith in Christ. That's, I say genuine faith, I get that out of the Bible, right? It's one of those lovely places in the Bible I like to talk about because my wife's name is in it. In 2, Corinthians chapter 1, or 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, when Paul is talking about Timothy and he says, I see that you have genuine faith that dwell in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. Now this is what you want. You want to have genuine faith you want to have personally embraced the gospel and loved the gospel, and that has to have totally changed your life. I'm preaching to the choir here. I know you believe this. It's just so fun to repeat it, right? So that your children, they learn how to have genuine faith. How many of you know how to tie a bow tie? Raise your hand if you can tie a bow tie. Yes, exclusive company. Mrs. Pye can tie a bow tie. Very interesting. Who else can tie a bow tie? Anybody else? Just a few of us. There we go. Yeah, well, yes. I knew you were a man of letters when I saw you there. Can tie a bow tie. I figured this out. I went on the internet and I got this little diagram. I thought I was going to die before I figured out how to tie a bow tie. Do not go on the internet and get a diagram. Unless you're an engineer, that might work for you. For me, I'm like, it's got to be intuitive. About everything has to be learned intuitively by me because I'm not that bright. So I, I'm feeling my way through this. I'm like, I cannot get this thing figured out, you know, until I watch somebody else. Somebody says to me, tie it like you tie your shoes. Like, oh, yeah, I could do that. How did you learn to tie your shoes? I could not walk you through that. I, how did you learn the English language? I couldn't explain that. That's a great mystery. I know you're a teacher. You'll say, I can explain that. No, you can't. You're paid to pretend you can, but you can't explain it. It's a mystery. You, you hang out with people that speak the English language and you find yourself doing it. You, you, how did you learn to change oil? You, you probably watched somebody and then you helped somebody and then they helped you and then you did it wrong and then they corrected you and then you and and, and so it is in in a, in a very real sense with faith though we understand you you must understand it is a miracle of god but you you get that miracle usually in the presence of another person who really knows god right and they see that in you and i so so obviously we, we want to be teaching the law of god understanding the, the depravity of each person born into this world that it's not going to be long before their, their, their sin nature shows itself and they're going to act just like their mothers and their dads and their dads and, and so they're going to and that we recognize you know isn't it tempting when you get your little cherub and you look at them you're just like they are so perfect they're so wonderful I mean I know they de- they're demanding and they scream all the time and they cry all the time and they have to be waiting on hand and foot but other than that they're just perfect 
And they're so lovely and they're cute. And, and so you just look at them and you just think, you know, it's easy to think. And then they get a little bit older and they start to achieve things. Like they, they play t-ball. I mean, I, I mean seriously. <laughs> you guys ever seen that? That is so boring. That is so seriously boring. And, 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 you, and then everybody goes and like, oh, look what you did. It's so wonderful. And they, little, oh, they do some things and it's easy to go, look what they've accomplished. They're wonderful. They get graduation pictures. You look at, the, look at that wonderful child. And it's easy to forget that they're really depraved inside. For some reason, we kind of overlook that, you know, they, they have a bent to lie and lust and steal and think evil thoughts nobody wants to know. Now, I know this is true because it's true with you and I've counseled with many of you. As a joke, of course, it's true with all of us. It's, that's true with all of us. And I'm not packing any. I'm not going to pick on any more pastors because we do have to work together. So this morning was going to be my last that I pick on my fellow pastors. But I would guess that was true about them. You might want to check with them. No, that's true about all of us. It's depravity. The help I've fallen morally and I can't get up. If God doesn't do something, you know, about that depravity, then we go to hell. And we may live a, a kind of an outwardly moral life or religious life, but we, we go to hell. That's what the scriptures say. Now, so what's the answer to that? The answer is the gospel. And it's not a system, and it's not a radio program, and it's not a book, although those things may all be helpful to us. Nothing comes close to the gospel. The, nothing trumps the gospel. Let's, let's just keep that in mind. Now, the second thing is the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel works in our justification, but it also works in our sanctification, and so it is with the Holy Spirit, working in our justification to save us, but also ongoing work in our in our in our sanctification, as this is in Romans 8 and verse 13, you're, you're there in, in, take a look in Romans chapter 8. And notice this, often Romans 8 is giving us understanding about how to grow like the Lord or how to be holy. It's the sanctification section of, of Romans. And, it, and, and to cut through all of the detail here, which you should go and immerse yourself and enjoy the detail of this, but to, but to give you just a simple view of, of Romans 8, the heart of this is that real holiness doesn't come by legislation, and real holiness doesn't come by just the wanton liberty, just doing whatever you want, but that real holiness only comes when God the Holy Spirit does ongoing miracles in your life. It takes the Holy Spirit continually working in us for us to experience the righteousness of Christ. And here's how it says it in Romans 8 and verse 13, uh, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. That's the phrase that's about the plague of sin that kind of comes after us every day. And so this is true with us. It's obviously true with all of our kids. What do they need? They need the righteousness of Christ. They need to understand the gospel. They need to continually understand the gospel. That's why we sing so many different songs about the gospel. And we have so many different types of ways of singing and preaching and reading about the gospel. And they need the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a third thing here. And that is, and by the way, I... I, I uh, We'll just give you a little challenge. Take your Bibles, not right now, but later, and, and look up Galatians chapter 5. And just look at that beautiful passage in there that contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And ask yourself, which of these lists does my home look like? See what I mean? Read the list over here, works of the flesh. Read the list over here, fruit of the Spirit. And, the, and what, that ought to, that if, it, if you're like I am, it, 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 you know, it inspires you on the one hand and it kind of breaks your heart on the other hand. Because sometimes there's just way too much exhibition of that old life in, the, in, in my home and in my own life. 
And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We continue to yield to him and ask him to, to do the work of, of sanctification, helping us to grow up. That's how that works. And so we want to have the power of the Holy Spirit so that we have that kind of home that's filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace so forth. The third thing I, I want to point out as we just kind of move quickly through these is a clear conscience and the importance of a, of a pure or a clear conscience. The scriptures talk about that a lot. When I was a young pastor, I actually pastored a church really not very well, but I was 17 when I got this little country church and between my junior and senior year of high school, and the people were very, 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 very tolerant, even more tolerant than you are. You got me grown up. Can you imagine how bad I was at 17? So um, it's just not even... Anyway, I, but I, I tried, and I went calling. So I would go get in my little VW, and I would drive up to uh, uh, my little area, the old parish, and I would go uh, out calling. The church was small, and so after I called anybody that was in the church, I went calling on people that weren't in the church. Yet just, I'd just go knock on doors and talk with people and invite them to church and try to win them to the Lord, not necessarily in that order. And I don't normally spy on people or talk about them, but the statute of limitations is passed on this story. That was a long time ago, far away. Is it okay if I tell you a little detail? Good. So I go to this house, and I go down this drive, and, and I'm picking on the poor lady, but she did let me in her house. And I knock on the door. She lets me in the house. And it was like dangerous, dirty, bad, awful. It's like there was like a whole, <laughs> it was like a whole uh, like box of cereal on the, on the floor just as you, as you come in. And, and I had to step over this, you know, this, the Cheerios there. And, and, I, and she goes, and people often will do this. They go, have a seat. And I'm like there's nowhere to sit here like where would a person sit because everything had stuff on it this is you're 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 feeling bad for this person you don't know so i should probably move quickly away from this illustration and i thought to myself why don't you pick up your house you know i'm just a 17 year old kid i'm just thinking why don't you throw some of this stuff away like the cereal on the floor in front of the door right there or or maybe the stack of diapers over in the corner you could move them into the trash you know why don't you pick up and it would be wouldn't it be a lot happier for everybody if you picked up your stuff well i i think that we think we can live without taking out the garbage we think we can have relationships without making things right when we stink it up we think that we can treat our wife this way and that way and say this and that and never go back and make it right we think we can hurt people or be insensitive to them and day to day if you go to bed at night and you, you pillow your head as it says there in Ephesians chapter 4, and I would suggest that you kind of lock on to Ephesians 4. You go to bed and you think, and you pillow your head at night, and, it's, and you have spoken unkind, thoughtless words to somebody. The Spirit of God is faithful that He will whisper in your ear, you really ought to do something about that. Let me just give you a reason, just kind of a practical reason you should, other than just cleaning up your own act and being a real Christian. It's like your kids need to know somebody who does that because they're going to do things that are wrong. Their conscience is going to be defiled. They're going to get into bad habits that way. And they need to see people who like regularly take out the garbage out of their, you know, out of their soul and make things right, or they won't even know what that looks like. Did they ever hear, I know I've said this before, but it's important, did they ever hear you, can I say this gently, ladies, it's Mother's Day, so I must be very careful. Uh, Ladies, certainly your sons and daughters, they hear you, you come into their room at night, and and you just tenderly sometimes say, you know, I wasn't very thoughtful, I embarrassed you publicly, and and I got to thinking about that, and it wasn't right, and and I, and I, I want you to forgive me, will you forgive me? 
I really honestly believe that we would see revival sometimes in homes if, if, if moms just were tender that way and would seek forgiveness regularly for the things that they do and say. Now, dad, same way, right? How often the dad, you know, he's like, I wasn't angry. I was just a little upset. I wasn't angry. I mean, it's just uh, I need my space. You know, the, whatever stuff that we say when we sin and, and, and do, we, do we make it right? Do we take out the garbage? If you don't take out the garbage regularly, you are going to live in a dump. And, and this is what the scriptures say. First Timothy 1, 18 and 19, charge, uh, commit you, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made con, uh, uh, concerning you, by them that you would wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, and they've made shipwreck. Without a good conscience, you are likely to have shipwreck. And so it, uh, Paul said this in Acts 24 and verse 16. He says, I am always striving to have a good conscience, a conscience void of offense toward God and man. This is a big parenting thing, to have a conscience void of offense, to take care of things in, in the day that they come to your heart. First Peter 3 15 through 17 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In other words, if somebody calls you out on something, you need to make it right so that they can no longer do that. If somebody says you're a Christian and you say this word you shouldn't say, well then you ask their forgiveness for saying that word that you shouldn't say. And ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help you stop talking that way so that that person watched you and they're like, I can't continue to criticize them because they got that bad word out of their language or that thing that they criticize you about you have a clear conscience the bible says you can't prosper if you hide sin so your family can't prosper if you hide sin your kids can't prosper if you don't is this happening in your home like daily i mean if you is does it happen in your home as often as you sin that you take and i just think that doesn't happen and, and that's exactly why often we have this breakdown in relationships and homes because we say and we do things that aren't right and we don't go back and make them right, and eventually, you know, it's like never changing oil on your car, gentlemen. Eventually, or ladies, it's going to melt down, and it's not going to work, and it's going to break down. Now, if you would, uh, just please turn to Ephesians 4, because this is a very critical passage. I, I would like to think, Ephesians 4, to me, I can hear my mother's voice right now. Just I can actually, I can like hear my mother's voice quoting these verses to me in our home growing up. And thank God for that. Ephesians 4, this this could be like a cornerstone of your working theology for a home. Verse 25, putting away lying, let each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. You know this, but do you do this? You say, Pastor, I heard that before. Okay, I know you heard it before, but is it a part of the way you operate? You don't go to bed with an offense that's not cleared up with somebody that you live with or anybody else for that matter. You, the first available time you get right to them and you make it right. There's a sweetness in this. Talking with Terry Gibson this week and Terry and I were talking about that when you when you seek forgiveness and when you receive forgiveness, how it makes you feel. And he said to me, it's like the first day of summer vacation. And when he said that, it just flooded my heart with a picture. <laughs> so I was thinking about when I was a boy, I saved up all winter to buy a new bike. 
I didn't actually save. I paid Western Auto. I laid it away, and I paid them like $249 a week. My dad figured it out. You can pay $249 a week on the bike. You put this money in the bank for college. My dad was always wanting me to save for college. And so he says, this is what you save for college. You put $249 on the bike. So springtime came, and I had put $249 on the bike every Friday. I would go down there with my old beater bike, and I would go into the savings and loan, and I'd give them the $2.49, and I would put the rest of my money dutifully in my savings account for college, which seemed like it would be eons away. First day of summer comes, and I'm like, wouldn't it be sweet to have a new bike, but I'm not going to own that new bike until I'm in college. You know, I just can't. I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm like, this is not working. I'll never forget my dad, you know. He says to me, Kenny, you've, I'm really proud of you that you've been working hard and getting up early in the morning and throwing the papers and collecting, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to take money out of your savings. I don't ever want you to do this without permission, but I want you to take money out of your savings enough to get your bike out today. I'm like, are you serious? Because, yep, why don't you do it? Go ahead. So he drops me off in DeGraff, Ohio. He drops me off in front of the savings and loan next to the post office. And I threw my shoulders back and went in there with my little passbook and gave it to them and made them withdraw. And I walked down to the Western Auto and I got my shining new bike. I got on that bike. I was just riding home. It had speeds and it had brakes and everything. It had skinny tires. I was like, is anybody looking at me? It was, it was a fine bike. Just, it was like I could feel the, the air blowing. I could smell the... I thought, this is going to be a great summer. When Terry said that, I remembered that afternoon. And my friend, I know this to be true. You know, when you make it right with somebody you love or with the Lord, and you get that burden off of your chest, and you make it right with somebody that you hurt, it's like the first day of summer vacation. Am I right? It's a powerful, wonderful feeling to be free. That's what David said there in the penitent Psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 51. So it says there in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. These little children that were carried up here need to live in homes. They need to be raised in homes that regularly take out the garbage, right? And you need to be, you need to be that way. And we need to be that way around the church. Let's be careful with one another. And let's, let's make those difficult phone calls. And let's just keep, you know, short accounts, right? Keep things clear. You wonder, you offended somebody. Go to them, talk with them, make things right. And let's stay close and treat one another right. I wonder how many families, how many women just grieve with hurt because their husbands never admit they're wrong or rarely admit they're wrong. They never, in their hearts, they would, you know, women, uh, we were reading the letters to Lois today, and I'm always like, Lois, thank you. You know, one of the things I want to thank you for is forgiving me for all the stupid, sinful things that I've done that have hurt you. And by the grace of God, she's been merciful to me, forgiving me for things that I've said and that I've done. And... I think that's one of the reasons why we have anything that looks like a Christian home right now. Because she's been willing to forgive. But you, when you have a wife or a husband that's willing to forgive, you want to make it easy on them, right? Ask forgiveness. Keep things right. So who do you know right now? A, a mother, a dad, Bill was mentioned this morning, a, a son, a, a friend, a, a worker that you, you spoke harshly to, you took something from. And you, a clear conscience is just a very, very powerful thing. And so that's the third thing. The righteousness of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, a clear conscience. These two are, are shorter. Worshipful service. Just, to, just want to mention this. And This church, long before I ever came around here, was, was, was emphasizing the importance of learning to serve the Lord and training the kids to serve the Lord. And and, um, and that is something that we so want to stay with in a lot of different ways. However God has wired 
people, young and old alike, that you find something to do. You serve the Lord. And, and, and that would be every member, every member of the church ought to find a place to serve the Lord within the church and then a kind of like spontaneous ministry elsewhere too. But you find a place in the church. That makes for a powerful church. Listen, this area here, you know this, this area here needs every church it can have. It needs this church and the other wonderful churches, our sisters and brothers here in our area too. But this, there are people who need us and they need us to be at our best they, we can't say we used to be a really strong church. We can't get away with that. We're who we are now. We, there are people that they weren't around then. They don't, they're not reading what we used to do. They only know what's going on right now. And they need to know that there are real Christians somewhere. And there are real marriages somewhere. And there are real families somewhere. People who really are seeking the Lord. And they would follow it. And they would jump in if they would see that, that we could help them with that. And, and so we want to serve the Lord. We want to continue to serve the Lord. And everybody take a job, you know. And, and, and this service is not out of duty, right? You know that. Yeah, how long can you do that? How long can you like, be a Sunday school teacher just because somebody badgered you to do it? Not very long. You've got to love those kids. You've got to want to do that. You've got to be thinking. It's something that you would think about. How in the world can you come early and drive a bus and stay late and drive a bus and not really have your heart? Of course, you've got to have your heart in it to keep doing that. And so it is here when, with a family. Now, in the Bible, there's this little tiny little picture that I just love. And it reminds me of some of you all. And um, I was just thinking about a number of you. You have kids that, that are, are, by the way, our pastor Michael just graduated with, with uh, high honors from Dallas Seminary. And a number of you have children that graduated in the last few days. And that's just a huge accomplishment. I can't tell you how happy I am for you. And a number of those kids are kids that serve the Lord, that just want to serve the Lord. And they want to serve the Lord out of the heart of love for God. We got young men that are here, and if you need them for something, they are the, the, they're about the sharpest, readiest guy. A lot of the electronic things wouldn't happen here. We have some sharp guys that are just like, you need something, Pastor, tell me how to do it. I can't even sometimes explain what I need. They can do it. They just make it happen. They, they serve the Lord with their skill and their ability and out of a heart. Now, there's a, there's a family in the Bible like this, and I want to read this. You might want to write this down because this is a beautiful. You want your family to be like this. First uh, Corinthians 15, 16, 15 is talking about the household of Stephanas. You know what it says about them? It says they had an addiction. Did you know that? There's a family in the Bible with an addiction that's commended in the Bible. The addiction words in the King James, you know, I usually use the New King James. Here's what it says. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. In the King James, it's interesting, it says, they've addicted to themselves, to the ministry of the saints. These people are, that's what they do. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, ooh, addicted to service, addicted to serving in the church. Like, hey, most people I know are devoted to something. Am I right? They are completely devoted to something. They're like, oh, what time's the game, you know? Or they're like, I'm going to go to this meeting and all my cronies are going to be at this meeting and we're going to hang out late and come home late. Because most people are devoted to something. I don't mind telling you, and of course you're the Sunday night crowd, so I think you're on board with this, and that is you will not regret devoting yourself in a healthy way to the local church and serving the Lord and getting involved in serving the Lord. And these children need to be taught. We need to continue to teach them uh, that. Prioritize the local church in this. Be addicted or devoted to the ministry of the saints. Say this, as my parents did. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Say that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let, let that be. Dad, you show them that. 
Pastor Pine, I, I gotta, we, sometimes we got to like talk Pastor Pine into giving us the talk that we got him to give to our deacons, and he's shy about this, so you all go to him and ask him, and, and he'll weaken. And he, he told a story, I won't tell all of it, but he was raised in a Christian home, and uh, we talked him into telling stories about what it's like to be raised in a Christian home that's devoted to the ministry, a layman's home, a deacon's home, that's devoted to ministry. Now, I'm just saying that I had this experience. My, my dad was a pastor, a bivocational pastor. Some of you may have had that experience. Some of you have not. I'm just saying this. Please hear me out. That's what you want with your children. I don't, I'm not saying they live at the church or they don't have a life outside of it because they need to mix it up with lost people so that they can impact lost people too. But I am saying this, along with the righteousness of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, a clear conscience, and worshipful service, Show them that you serve the Lord because you love the Lord. Show them that you do what you do for the Lord because you love the Lord. I, I know I'm preaching to the choir l- quite literally here. You folk are doing this. I just say, let's keep that up so that our kids, they're going to find a joy in serving the Lord. They're not going to find anywhere else. There's, just, there's nothing else out there that's quite like being involved in that. So this, here's number five, and, and I only have five points here. Uh, don't applaud. I, 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 it's okay. The Bible. Build your home on daily meditation on the Bible. Now, you knew I was going to say that, but I need to clarify something. Now, here's how we often use the Bible. Sometimes we use the Bible, like if you're kind of a heady type, you say, I need to get the content of the Bible in my brain, you know. And the children, they need the content of the Bible in their brain, so we're going to put them in whatever so that they get the Bible content in their brain. And that's good. That's good. It's very, very good. Matter of fact, if you had the experience like we did in the Holy Land when you got like a, a Muslim, an Arab Muslim guy who really knows the Bible and he asks you questions you can't answer. <laughs> it makes you kind of mind go home and go, who were all of Saul's sons? I don't remember their names. Because you don't want like Muslims telling you they know something in the Bible you don't know, right? <laughs> it's just, maybe it's just pride, right? Anyway, you, you want to know the content of the Bible. Master the Bible. Master the content of the Bible. Know the stories of the Bible. Know where to find things in the Bible. Spend some time on that. You, you know, we live in an explosion of electronic ages. It's amazing the cool things you can use now to really get to the content of the Bible. I would say go for that. And we, I would encourage you. That's why we kind of encourage if you're kid's got an iPod and he wants to look up Bible verses in church, I'm all for it. If he wants to surf the internet while I'm preaching, I hope he doesn't, you know, get really sick for doing something evil like that, you know, or text his girlfriend. But, but if you've got, if you have a girlfriend, more power to you. But, but, but you got all that stuff right there on your iPad or your, or, or your iPod or your, your phone, and you literally, and you can, you can catch up on your Bible reading while you're waiting, not while you're driving, but while you're, we might go directly to heaven as a result that but take somebody with you or send somebody uh, anyway and you can stand in line when you're waiting in the doctors you can open up your phone and read your bible we don't have any excuse not to get the content of the bible in it so yeah we should get the content of the bible but this isn't really what i'm talking about then there's the other thing and i'm kind of susceptible to this i'm an emotional type so you know i like the idea of devotional reading of the bible i read till my heart is warm and i i find something i love and it makes me feel happy and joyful or or, or you know righteously angry i'm like yeah reading the bible just for kind of devotional tidbits that make me feel good there's nothing wrong with that it's okay but it's not what I'm talking about. Let me just clarify what I'm talking about. When you're talking about the family, and you're talking about building a church and building a family that are right with the Lord, there's another way to read the Bible. And there's another way to understand the Bible, and that is to, to read the Bible sort of like a menu, or maybe even to read the Bible like a schematic, or maybe to read the Bible like uh, architectural drawings. 
In other words, you're looking now for specific direction. Now, please don't distort the Bible. Please don't cherry-pick the Bible for Bible verses that support your sinful behavior, which sometimes happens, you know. This is why I'm giving you the talk to right now, because the Bible says I'm in charge. You know, please, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a kind of a... We're we're talking about, you know, have a bit bit more sophistication than that. Study the Bible carefully for the principles of the Bible. Nobody's going to give you wisdom like the Bible. Nobody's going to help you line out your family like the Bible. And, you know, I mean... Let me give you an example of this. When I meet with young couples uh, to um, counsel them, one of the things that I will do is I'll say to them, you know, to get married, one of the things that I will say to them is, you guys need to get together and you need to get the Bible open in your lap. Your Bibles. Or your electronic Bible, whatever. You need to get it open in your lap. Your eyes need to fall on passages of Scripture that will help you in specific areas of your life that you say, because God says this, and I understand it properly, this is what we're about as a family, and we are going to devote ourselves to this because it says it right here in the Bible. You've got to know your Bible like that. So that you, you, see I mean? you get your roots down in that as a family. You're saying, these are the things that make our family tick. These are the things that we believe in. We don't let the sun go down upon our wrath in this family because the Bible says so in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. And we don't talk that way in our family because it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And when we do talk that way, we go back and we say, I broke the law of God and I'm sorry. Please forgive me for saying that harsh thing to you. Can you see how beautiful it would be then to, you, to understand that's how the Lord, the Bible is given us, the scriptures say, everything we need for life and godliness. So that would include the church and the home and so forth. And so let me give you some quick examples. Study, the, study passages like Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 and the, uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 19. If you email me, I'll send you these. Uh, Hebrews 12 and so forth. For, to consider the importance of confessing sin to one another on a daily basis. That would be something that your family should be devoted to because the Bible says so, that you confess sin to one another on a daily basis. Or study the passage from Romans 12, 9 through 12, on what I call house rules. It's a big, long list of things that this is like. You know, for instance, you're a Christian. In Romans 12, there's a little section that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Well, pick that out of there, and when somebody's weeping, you, you grieve with them. You don't laugh. And someone's, you know, rejoicing, you don't grieve. That right there would solve a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? Interesting. That's just a, an example. Um, here's another one. Study if, uh, Galatians. I mentioned this before. Galatians 16 through 26, to walk in the spirit and not the flesh, and ask yourself, which of these is characterizing our family right now, or my particular life? And here's another one. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Study this passage to learn to yield your rights and focus on your God-given responsibilities. That would just like change your whole life if you had the Spirit of Christ where you lay down your rights instead of expecting people to take care of you all the time. Now, if a, if a couple or a family says, this is what... So this is a picture. Your family is like totally different than mine, and, and, and mine isn't like the perfect example, so I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand. There are times when I see something, I think, you know what we need to do? We need to get together in the family room. We need to get our Bibles open. We need to talk about this, and I need to, you know maybe seek forgiveness for a failure, mistake that I have made or sin, or, or maybe point out something that we're missing as a family so that we can, by God's grace, and we sow the scriptures. And we'll do that every once in a while. Hey, the conversation around here is getting inappropriate. And look what the Bible says right here. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let's ask God to help us to talk clean. So that would be a true example. And that's what I'm talking about. You don't just read the Bible for devotional warmth. That's, that's true. You don't just read, read the Bible for knowledge. That's true. 
but you actually build your life around the principles of the Bible, knowing it's God's Word. So I, I, there's, there's much more, but we'll live to preach another day now, won't we? And so let me, let me conclude by helping you think about something. I was driving home today, and, uh, and I uh, saw a lady. Her name is Michelle. She might be here tonight. I don't think so, but she was, I'm looking around to see if I see her. She's walking home from church. So she doesn't have a car. And she's got a couple of little kids. And she's walking home on Mother's Day. Beautiful sunny day. We're heading home for our, <laughs> heading home for our, our uh, Mother's Day celebration. And I was thinking about my wife and how when she was just a little girl, somehow God put in her heart a desire to walk with the Lord. And who would have thought that little drunk girl would be your pastor's wife someday? That's pretty cool. And I was driving along, and I saw that I saw Michelle, and saw her making her way home with a stroller and a little baby, and this little precious little girl. I was just skipping along over here, away from the traffic. I rolled my window down, you know, waved at her. And as I drove out of sight, and I saw that little little girl getting smaller in my rearview mirror, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be something if that little girl grew up, and that one day. You know, eight or ten kids gathered around the table and read letters to her. Mom, what a wonderful Christian mom you've been. Thank you for sacrificing for me. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. And then she would say, oh, you know how that happened. Years ago, my mama took me to this church down the corner. They told me about Jesus. I've loved him all of my life. All the potential of these little people here and their, and their moms and dads who love the Lord. It's a good work that we're involved in, and may God help us in, in this.